let's get started. Orion, welcome to the Dowlands Discord space. So, so, so excited to have you, host you, and learn from you. I'm extremely thrilled, and thank you everyone so much for joining. I hope you have a great time. So, um, Orion, first question, how have you been? Doing well. Uh, I just got back from Europe, uh, back in the US. Um, so still getting over jet lag a little bit, but uh, <laughs> nice to be settled in back home for a little bit. And um, yeah, other than that, I don't know. Uh, aside from all of the, the turmoil and mayhem going on in the uh, in the, the crypto space, my my kind of day to day life at the, the the stuff at home IRL is uh, is all doing great. <laughs> That's amazing to hear. Um, cool. Before we get started, guys, remember um, the Discord space is an amazing opportunity to ask your questions directly to our guest. So if you have something, please feel free to drop it in the chat below. Towards the end, we will jump on to the community questions. But Orion, um, a little bit background about Orion. He is the DAO lead at Gnosis and he's the pathfinder at Gnosis Guild. And what I found amazing about the Gnosis Guild is um, one of the most intriguing things was that it compared DAOs to a constellation, right? And the constellation is something that, you know, connects stars and everything. And it said that DAOs are also connecting like protocols, platforms and chains. So um, what an incredible perspective. But, you know, the more research I was doing, I had all these questions and I was understanding that Gnosis is like this big pyramid that has so many different layers to it. Um, with different communities, including Gnosis Tao, you know, Gnosis Guild and Zodiac. Um, I would love for you to kind of explain to us and help us understand better um, what is the differentiation between these layers? Like, um, how are these different layers structured? Yeah, uh, it, it's definitely a good question. Gnosis has become... Uh, I think it's it's kind of exceeded content shock, right? You know, like it's yeah. for, for, for quite a while, it was, it was relatively easy to keep track of all of the different things that are going on within Gnosis. Uh, and it's it's kind of as an ecosystem just expanded in so many different directions that it's really hard to keep track of everything. I certainly can't anymore. <laughs> yeah. um, but to give a bit of a backstory, I guess, uh, Gnosis was founded as, a, as an organization, uh, was did fundraising in, in 2017, and uh, it, uh, existed kind of as, as several legal entities uh, up until relatively recently, uh, about a year and a half ago now, uh, we spun up the Gnosis DAO. Uh, so the Gnosis DAO then uh, had essentially the treasury that was uh, raised uh, in 2017 transferred to it. Um, and so it is now the, the kind of the steward of the Gnosis ecosystem. The, there is still some legal entities for Gnosis, but the Gnosis DAO is kind of the, the steward of the Gnosis ecosystem. Um, Gnosis originally, uh, its original mission was to essentially uh, bring prediction markets into the world. Um, so the focus was to build technologies to uh, facilitate and enable prediction markets. And then uh, in a couple of instances, actually try to, to build the prediction markets themselves. Um, the, the most kind of well-known prediction market that, that kind of came out of Gnosis um, or that kind of Gnosis directly collaborated on building was uh, Omen by the DXDAO. Uh, the DXDAO is also an organization that kind of spun out of uh, Gnosis. Um, another well-known prediction market that was built on uh, Gnosis's prediction market tooling is uh, Polymarket. Um, but what ended up happening is that 
Gnosis was so early in, uh, in kind of Ethereum's life cycle that a lot of the really critical infrastructure that it needed to make prediction markets didn't exist. Uh, and, and in particular, um, one thing that uh, did not exist was really robust uh, multi-sig wallet uh, technology, uh, smart contract-based multi-sigs. So, one of the first things that Gnosis built that actually gained a whole bunch of traction was not the, the prediction market tooling, but actually the original Gnosis multi-sig, which ended up being the default place for a whole bunch of people to store their on-chain assets. Um, <clears throat> that multi-sig contract had some limitations in that it required all of the signatures to be uh, on-chain signatures, so it could be quite costly to, to use. Yeah. And so uh, the, the kind of next iteration of it was the Gnosis Safe, which allowed for off-chain signatures to be verified on-chain. And so you could do things like kind of aggregate the signatures off-chain and then uh, post them on-chain. Uh, and the Gnosis Safe is, is the kind of the tool that came out of the, the Gnosis ecosystem that uh, is, is I guess has gained the, the most traction. Uh, just about everyone who uh, does anything with with more than one person in uh, in the Ethereum ecosystem ends up touching a Gnosis safe at some point. Uh, it's by far the most widely used contract wallet, um, and this is this is yeah again the kind of the most public touch point that uh, people have with the Gnosis ecosystem. Safe. Uh, so part of the uh, part of the process of, of kind of transitioning to this DAO. Uh, model was to allow for Gnosis to move from this this model of, of being essentially one organization with a whole bunch of uh, sub-teams to being much more of an ecosystem. And so mm. uh, the, the SAFE now has spun out into its own organization that's kind of a member of this Gnosis ecosystem. Uh, and that same thing is true for a handful of other uh, sub-teams within Gnosis. So we also have the, the CalSwap slash Gnosis protocol team. They've spun out now to become the CalDAO. Uh, there's a treasury management team uh, called Kapaki that have spun out into their own organization. Uh, we, uh, the Gnosis DAO, acquired Gnosis Chain uh, and, and uh, sorry, acquired XDAI and, and rebranded it as, as Gnosis Chain. And it's uh, so this is kind of another piece under this this Gnosis DAO ecosystem. Um, Gnosis Guild, uh, the team that I uh, work with, we're <laughs> kind of another piece of this. And then there's a whole bunch of other. Uh, sub-teams and, and organizations that are kind of working within this ecosystem. Um, and again, it's, it's, it's a whole bunch to keep track of, but essentially the, the point being that, that we, we realized at a point that we had such kind of diversity of activities and, and so, many, um, so many kind of teams that were working in a, in a, in a fully independent manner that mm. it, it made much more sense to structure Gnosis as this kind of ecosystem rather than a, rather than as one organization yeah i think that is so interesting um to convert your organization into an ecosystem i think that is truly like the beauty of what decentralization is capable of um i know you've been a part of Gnosis since really early days as you were telling me and you guys are one of the most established and like you said widely used contract wallets how long did it take you to reach a product market fit where you were realizing oh, this is something that's it, because you entered in really, really early days, like you almost kind of defined where the market is heading, you almost defined what a good product looks like. Talk to me about that journey. 
Yeah, so I wasn't on the safe team, uh, and I was not working with the the uh, with with Nosos kind of full time at the point when that uh, discovery process was really happening. But I was uh, <laughs> still a heavy user of uh, of all of these products and kind of in close contact with. Uh, with a whole bunch of folks from the Gnosis uh, team and the Safe team at the time, uh, I think there was a couple of um, a couple of false starts on that. So the the Gnosis multi-sig was was the first attempt at this, and I wouldn't necessarily call it a false start. It was just a uh, that one in particular was was uh, just an early early iteration based on on the kind of needs at the time uh, and and the. Uh, constraints or kind of lack thereof in terms of gas prices uh, at the time when that uh, that wallet was uh, was created and was useful. Um, so the the Gnosis, the original Gnosis multi-sig was this kind of relatively simple solution um, that turned out to be a little bit too limiting. Um, the Gnosis Safe was the the kind of attempt to make this more generalizable, more modular. Uh, version of the Gnosis multi-sig that would be much more flexible. Um, but the first iteration of it as a um, as a kind of product for people to, to interact with, I think kind of fell in this weird gray area between uh, a, a, an end user wallet and a uh, and a kind of organizational wallet. Um, so the, the, the Gnosis multi-sig was, was squarely positioned as something that uh, people would use as, as uh, kind of high security, self-custody, uh, or that organizations would use. The, the first iteration of the Gnosis safe, at least the, the applications for it, tried to kind of split the difference between a mobile wallet and uh, uh, Maybe not. Maybe not split the difference. It essentially uh, you had a mobile wallet and you had a uh, browser extension that acted as a second factor to things that you tried to uh, to transactions that you tried to authorize from the mobile wallet. So it's kind of this this end user mobile wallet with two FA on your laptop. The thing that made this user experience uh, a little odd was that it didn't quite function as a mobile wallet because you always had to have your laptop available to provide the second factor authentication. Um, and so that's why I say kind of it split the difference between kind of two user groups, one that wanted to uh, have access to their funds on their mobile and then another that wanted to uh, be, be uh, much more kind of highly secure. And so the, the next iterations of the Gnosis Safe interface is the, um, the, the early versions of what you see today as in the, the web-based interface where uh, it's, it's much more uh, squarely positioned as something to use uh, as, a, as an organizational wallet or to use as a, as a high security kind of self-custody wallet for individuals uh, where you can have kind of any any combination of different uh, accounts that are co-owners of a of a safe and i think once the safe got to that point that's when it started to get really really rapid adoption uh, at that point it was it was very clearly the best solution for uh, for a whole bunch of different use cases. I think the other part that went into that is uh, the, the incredibly rigorous uh, s approach to security 
that the the safe team took yeah. uh, in producing that uh, that wallet, uh, making sure that uh, there was a, a series of audits, uh, the, the the contracts were formally verified, uh, all these kind of things that uh, just made it much more comfortable to use in uh, in high security scenarios. That's awesome. How big was the team when um, you had joined? Uh, Oh, I don't know. I, I don't know that I ever did headcounts. Um, <laughs> when I first started working with Gnosis uh, a, a little bit in 2017, it was it must have been a relatively small handful or two. Um, yeah. When I came back uh, more on a, uh, on a full-time basis in 2020, it must have been about 60. Uh, and now, if we kind of count the whole ecosystem, <coughs> Uh, under the under the Gnosis umbrella, then it would be um, it would be I don't know 150 maybe something like that. Uh, that's, that's a ballpark guess. That's awesome. <clears throat> so when you guys went from structuring yourself as an organization to building an ecosystem, you said there were so many sub communities that came out of that. Um, how did that happen? People even struggled to make one community, and today everything in Web three is driven by a community. So for you guys to build these multiple robust communities that were functioning independently, I think that was phenomenal. How did that journey happen? Yeah, I think honestly there were there was a handful of organizations within Gnosis, or teams within Gnosis that were probably being held back to a certain extent by not having their own independent communities. Uh, the Safe and CalSwap in particular, um, they had both essentially outgrown Gnosis. Uh, the safe has become just critical infrastructure for the Ethereum ecosystem. Uh, and so having it kind of housed within the Gnosis community, uh, you know, like having it as just its Discord presence, for example, just being uh, a, a channel within the Gnosis Discord was uh, kind of really limiting to, to how well it could function, how, how well it could grow. And so having that spin out into its own separate uh, entity and having its own separate presence on on uh, Discord and, and Twitter and kind of every other public touch point, yeah. uh, I think really allowed it to flourish. The same is definitely true for CalSwap. Um, having that take on its own identity and its own presence outside of the Nocasus ecosystem really allowed for it to flourish. And in terms of managing that, um, the, the the leadership at Gnosis has been really phenomenal about finding the right people and essentially just getting out of their way, um, not yeah. not being overbearing, uh, finding the right people who are uh, competent but are really well, also really well kind of ideologically aligned and um, yeah, letting them letting them steer. Uh, and so both the safe team, the CalSwap team, uh, and then obviously Kapaki and Gnosis Chain and, and all these other teams within uh, the, the kind of broader Gnosis ecosystem. I think they, they have really incredible core team members that have done a, a phenomenal job of, um, of kind of cultivating their, their own distinct part of the, uh, the broader Gnosis ecosystem. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, I truly feel like if the leadership is operating in the right way, like that spirit really bleeds down to the community. And that is a byproduct, having a self-thriving community. Um, what Gnosis has built is absolutely phenomenal. Um, you call yourself a pathfinder at the Gnosis skills. Um, can you help a Web2 person understand your role better? Like how is a pathfinder different from other roles? 
Uh, to a certain extent, that's just us having a bit of fun. <laughs> cool things. Um, we, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, it's a non-traditional organization, so we don't need to, I don't know, we don't feel the need to have traditional titles. Uh, I think yeah. for me in particular, I, I find myself floating between uh, roles and responsibilities based on kind of whatever's needed. Uh, and so the kind of pathfinder thing there is, is a bit of tongue in cheek at that, or it's just, you know, I, I fill gaps wherever, uh, wherever, wherever they kind of pop up. Um, and, uh, with the nose of skill team, I mean, that's anything from, uh, strategy option comes to product management and solidity development, uh, and yeah, I, I am trying to do better at, uh, at delegating and, and kind of getting out of the way, but we, uh, I don't know, we're, we're, we're a very kind of flat organization. Uh, and so that's that floating and, and kind of contributing wherever, wherever feels right, wherever it makes sense, uh, is, is a, I don't know, core part of, uh, of the way that we operate in that kind of organizational identity. And I think the same is true for most of the folks on the Nosa Skill team. They, you know, everyone has some core competencies, but uh, there's this very, uh, I don't know, porous boundaries between different roles. Everyone, everyone kind of feels very free to just kind of contribute wherever wherever they feel like they can uh, add value to a, to an effort. That's amazing. So, um, do pathfinders like yourself? create the next spot and define what Gnosis builds ahead? Or is it something that's community driven? Uh, so, I mean, each each team has, uh, or each kind of organization under the, the Gnosis, uh, in, in the kind of broader Gnosis ecosystem, really has full autonomy to go whatever direction they want. Um, in terms of the, the Gnosis skills pathfinding efforts, um, we again we, we're really kind of flat structure we, we try to take everyone's input um and i guess we we work in this uh, really interesting uh kind of product management uh cycle um we we have some stuff that we've written up on it that we'd like to share at some point and just kind of haven't gotten around to, to publishing it on our blog yet but to to give a kind of quick overview it's it's based off of uh, base camps shape up philosophy, which is essentially these eight week cycles uh, broken down into uh, two two parts. One is this kind of uh, building working phase, and one is this cool down phase. Uh, and so this kind of building uh, slash I guess shaping phase, you have kind of two distinct tracks going on in parallel. One is uh, building whatever we've decided to work on for this cycle, and the other is shaping whatever we might decide to work on in the subsequent cycle. Uh, and so for the most part, anyone is, is, uh, is can contribute to either uh, based on their, uh, based on kind of what they're interested in, what their skill sets are and what's, what's kind of needed for any given project. Um, but naturally we tend to break up into uh, essentially builders and um, and shapers. Uh, that's kind of how their uh, shape up philosophy would define it. Uh, we we get a little bit more esoteric and column seers and artificers <laughs> just for, for the fun of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we so what we tend to do is um, during that cool down period, we hold this uh, 
betting table, uh, kind of what did we call it last time? Our, our prophecy commitment ceremony or something like this. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we like to just get yeah, esoteric with all the naming, but um, Love that. what that is, is, is essentially we, we uh, during the, the previous cycle, the people in this kind of shaping track on this prophecy track have been figuring out uh, What's some things that we could possibly work on, mm -hmm. uh, essentially like making making bets, making prophecies about uh, the you know if we build this, then then X will happen, kind of thing. Or you know this this thing would be valuable for us to build because of uh, Y reason, kind of thing. Um, we then go through this process where we uh, essentially vote on which things we want to build and and kind of allocate. The, um, the the resources we need to it in terms of people to work on the, the various different projects uh, and then spend the next six weeks working on whatever those projects are and, and that process just repeats uh, indefinitely. So we plan about uh, yeah, six weeks ahead at any given time um, and then beyond that have have no roadmap or anything like that. It's just, uh, the, you know, the roadmap is, is emergent from whatever we identify as the kind of needs for the next six weeks super interesting so you guys are building these tools i read that you build tools that you work with but who is it like whose need are you looking at when you're building these tools like other DAOs? yeah so we're in this uh, interesting position where we can essentially do mostly needs-driven development for the gnosis dao uh, so the gnosis dao manages this humongous treasury that gnosis has kind of accumulated over the last uh, several years um, from the, the fundraise and then from very uh very well managed uh treasury management um and so yeah the the, the gnosis dao's kind of mandate is to to manage and use that treasury and then to to uh, essentially support and grow the the gnosis ecosystem um, and so that is is the kind of primary uh user that we're thinking about when we're building tools that's that user is is what inspired essentially zodiac as a as a standard uh and most of the tools that we've built for uh, on top of that standard yeah. um but then otherwise yeah we we kind of just observe uh dao use cases generally and and think about uh, things that may be useful in the context of gnosis dao maybe useful in the context of other styles of daos uh and and things that we just want to see in the world um so a good example of the the kind of needs driven stuff for the gnosis dao is the reality module that we built um this is the the first module that kind of then inspired the whole uh zodiac pattern um what what this one does is take uh, the results of off-chain voting um, and then uh, basically query uh, an oracle to bring those results on-chain to then trigger on-chain execution. So it allow, allows us to do things like uh, use off-chain voting on snapshot to trigger on-chain execution uh, in, in a Gnosis safe, uh, which is really great because uh, for a, a couple of different reasons, uh, but primarily because it means that we can have uh, a really low barrier to entry to participating in voting. There's, mm. there's no gas costs, yeah. uh, which, which yeah, is, is not the case for, for on-chain voting. And in periods of kind of high uh, usage, 
it, it becomes a, a restricting factor to who can participate. Uh, aside from that, there's a whole bunch of other uh, interesting benefits for it, uh, along with some trade-offs. Um, another another good example of this kind of needs-driven development is our roles module that we built, which allows for really fine-grained access control in the context of a uh, in the context of a safe. So you can have basically this module that allows uh, you to define a role on that role, define uh, target addresses that uh, people or accounts with this role are allowed to trigger the DAO safe to interact with. Uh, and then optionally scope it down further. So it can be like specific functions on specific addresses, specific parameters on those functions, on those addresses, optionally allow delegate calls, all this kind of stuff. So yeah, really, really kind of fine-grained access control. And we built this one out specifically thinking about treasury management for the Gnosis DAO. How do we allow the team that does treasury management, Kafaki, yeah. uh, how do we allow them to do the treasury management stuff, do things like move tokens between different curve pools to optimize uh, the yield that they're getting uh, without giving them unilateral access to all of the tokens, you know, without allowing them to just send the tokens to any arbitrary address. And so this roles module was our way of, uh, of uh, enabling this. We set up this, um, this kind of role that has uh, that the, the enables them to do the things that they, they need to do, but nothing else. Um, and, and so, yeah, because of that, they're able to do this kind of non-custodial treasury management in a way that wasn't really possible before. How interesting. You guys are almost like self-sustainable. You are figuring out where your pain points are. You are inside building it and implementing it. That's so interesting. We at DAOlands, I feel like, are also really trying to find out what are the biggest pain points that DAOs are facing and build on it. Um, like we realized onboarding was such a challenge, you know, um, just a few months ago. But the system keeps on evolving. And now we realize that DAOs are in a place where they don't want new members, right? They are super happy with the 10, 15 people they have. And they just want to, you know, kind of manage around that. So um, I was also wondering, what does a day in the life look for you, look for you as a pathfinder at Nosis DAO? Yeah, I mean, like I was saying before, I, I kind of wear a bunch of different hats and, and kind of rotate between responsibilities pretty frequently. Uh, so a, a day can be really varied. Uh, I mean, I might spend uh, a day just writing solidity or testing solidity. Uh, I might spend a day just focusing on on uh, legal or operational things. Uh, I might hop back and forth between those things. I might jump yeah. into some comms related stuff or do an interview uh, or um, yeah, this, it's it's really really varied, uh, but that's part of what I like about this work as well. Awesome. So, what does the day to day operations look like for the Gnosis Guilds? Like, how is it that you guys are doing? Is it few people who are making the decisions, or do you still have like proposals and voting and all of the you know stuff that a DAO does? Yeah. So, like I said before, we we use this um, this kind of shape up methodology, and that's essentially uh, how we how we structure the entire process of deciding what we want to work on. Um, so that, that constitutes that kind of operational uh, work. The, the exception being obviously, uh, I don't know, the organizational side of operational stuff, like as in uh, I don't know, hiring and all that kind of stuff. And that, that as of right now still has a pretty traditional feel to it where there's, yeah. a, there's a handful of folks on the team that, um, that that's their kind of core responsibility. Um, but I think that will probably change as Gnosis Guild becomes more DAO-like as well. So 
the I mentioned the the safe team and the cow swap team kind of spinning out of Gnosis, becoming their own entities, becoming kind of more DAO-like. Uh, this is a process that Gnosis Guild will likely go through as well. So right now it's it's essentially a sub team within the uh, Gnosis organization, and uh, yeah, it, it will evolve into something. Uh, more independent at some point uh, and I think at that point uh, start to resemble something much more DAO like right jumping on to FTX right we're all aware about the debacle that happened with FTX and I was wondering I'm sure you've kept up with all the news there's so much negativity in the space but I feel like this was an important time to reflect for a lot of people and we were understanding how important it is to be transparent but um, mainly about security, what is it that you feel like other DAOs can learn from this incident about security? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think it, it, this same kind of thing seems to play out every, every couple of years. Um, and it's essentially just a reaffirmation of, of a bunch of the values that uh, are the reason that the, the entire crypto space exists. Um, you know the the idea of uh, self-sovereign uh, uh, finance, the idea of uh, being able to kind of take legitimate custody of your own assets, um, and and to be able to set up uh, systems that uh, cannot act outside of the way that they advertise. You know, be able to set. I mean, DeFi is a is a great example of this, where you have a protocol that. Uh, is going to act the way that the code uh, uh, is is implemented. Uh, it, it can't kind of say one thing and do another. Uh, obviously, there's some gotchas there in terms of uh, uh, bugs and and all that kind of stuff. And those those pop up every now and again and cause some catastrophe as well. But uh, yeah, I think the the big learning from this for a lot of people is just uh again reaffirming why crypto exists uh, the ability to take custody of your own assets and to to participate in systems that uh, are transparent and and kind of cannot be evil or cannot act outside of the way that they uh, they're intended to act is is why it's here and i think uh ultimately i would say ftx was not crypto, you know, FTX was traditional finance using crypto assets uh, yeah. as opposed to actually being uh, crypto or actually being Web3. Yeah, you know, but the crux of all of this was money, right? Where FTX, I feel like, really went down is that new one, no one was, no one knew what was happening under the table, right? And we have established the importance of being transparent. And like recently, Binance has introduced proof of reserve. So I was wondering, how is Gnosis at this point um, helping DAOs become more transparent? Well, I mean, I think if they're operating as a DAO, they're transparent by default, right? You know, everything that the Gnosis DAO does, uh, at least uh, financially, is is on chain, uh, you know, proof of reserve is, is block by block. You can see all of the Gnosis DAO's assets. There's none, there's no kind of Gnosis DAO assets that are uh, hiding in a back room somewhere. Uh, but then beyond just kind of the, the simple on chain uh, uh, proofs that kind of anyone can go and dig up, we also just have a, a, a culture of being very transparent about uh, decision making processes, very transparent about 
the the way that the treasury is being managed, for example, so the Kalpaki team that does treasury management, they put together a weekly report, kind of breaking down in very simple terms what the decisions were and why, uh, and, and kind of what the, the, the current treasury looks like. Uh, and so I think, I don't know, the Gnosis, uh, Dell, the Gnosis ecosystem, I guess, very much tries to lead by example there uh, in terms of creating this this very transparent, very uh, easy to under, understand uh, organization from a, a financial perspective, even if the, the ecosystem itself is, is big and has lots of moving parts and it's pretty hard to follow. Yeah, my follow-up question would be, how autonomous is Gnosis? Because what we were finding out is how DAOs usually operate is when there's a proposal that's being floated and it's all voted upon, it's all agreed, um, the money doesn't really come to the person who's got the proposal. There is still a little bit of a central team which says, yes, let's transfer the money. And if we were looking at Nouns DAO, Nouns DAO I felt like was one of the only, and excuse my ignorance, but I felt like Nouns DAO was one of the very few people who I felt like were truly, truly autonomous. Like if a proposal gets floated, money actually get debited. But one interesting thing in the smart contract is that the few people who hold the nouns, um, who hold the nouns NFT, um, have this thing in the smart contracts where they have the right to veto at any point. Um, and I feel like that is just one way for them to ensure like safety and security. So what is your opinion on like the, the how autonomous are DAOs? Like how autonomous is Gnosis when it comes to something like this? Right. I mean, so in general, yeah, there is a bit of a pattern of this where uh, things kind of labeled as DAOs uh, often a snapshot space and a multi-sig um, and there's no kind of formal link between the two. You know, something gets voted on a snapshot and it's up to a team of multi-sig signers to actually execute whatever the, the community said that they wanted them to do. Uh, but no, no kind of formal connection between the two. Um, the Gnosis DAO kind of exists in a, a midway point between that. Uh, so we built this uh, reality module specifically for this uh, this problem to, to kind of connect that off-chain voting to on-chain execution uh, and to do it in a way that is, is fully autonomous. So proposals that are passed on uh, snapshot on the, the, the Gnosis DAO snapshot, if they have a transaction payload uh, that's valid uh, attached to it, then that can be executed fully autonomously and is executed kind of fully autonomously. Uh, but there's also uh, in parallel a, a group of multi-sig signers that have the ability to veto malicious proposals coming in uh, and to, to kind of execute things autonomously. They don't uh, because they haven't needed to uh, in terms of vetoing um, and, and kind of out of principle for uh, executing things autonomously. Uh, and I think at some point, the Gnosis DAO should probably uh, make a proposal to, to kind of restrict their abilities, uh, but hasn't, hasn't seen a need to yet. Um, but I think the way that we think about this from uh, Zodiac's point of view is, is essentially as a, as a spectrum uh, or as a, as a kind of progressive decentralization journey. You know, so an organization often will start out as one or a small handful of people uh, and then slowly kind of grow, slowly uh, kind of bring in community members and then eventually kind of want to start uh, handing over some control or kind of giving some autonomy to the community members. So 
you know, one one example of a progressive decentralization journey like this might be to start out as a multi-sig, then to add a reality, uh, sorry, add a, a snapshot space to give kind of some informal voice to the uh, to the community. I think this stage is where a lot of organizations get stuck uh, or kind of never progress beyond. But the next logical step would be to add some formal connection between the two. So this reality module where now you get uh, on-chain execution from your off-chain vote. Next step might be to, uh, to, to limit what the multi-sig signers can do. So restrict them to only calling the, the veto uh, function on this reality module. Uh, so they can, they can veto malicious proposals, but they can't just kind of execute any arbitrary code. Yeah. Next step might be to, um, to remove the multi-sig signers altogether. Uh, or to, to add some other on-chain voting mechanism or uh, kind of, uh, it's, it branches infinitely from there. But yeah, yeah the, this kind of progressive decentralization journey is how we like to think about that. Um, and I think the, that earlier stage before there's, uh, before there's kind of formal links between the, the community and uh, the, the DAOs contract, I, I'd maybe refer to them as kind of aspiring DAOs as opposed to kind of true DAOs. Um, but yeah. yeah absolutely i think progressive decentralization is where it's at i feel like a lot of people are truly truly learning how is it that they should operate autonomously because it's not easy it's not easy to just kind of give the control to the community and you know not have some sense of like you know control and ownership um i think there's a a kind of mutual maturation process there as well uh you know like it's it's yeah. really difficult and probably not responsible to to just go from zero to one in most cases yeah, um, you know, especially as a as you know a, a group of founders that have gone and created something valuable created something uh, kind of interesting that people want to to help govern um, it's I think it's really important to to make sure that the community is actually capable and willing of uh, willing to, to kind of govern this thing well before removing all of the uh the, the backstops uh to that so yeah. kind of taking this this inchwise uh progression towards full decentralization rather than just uh kind of going zero to one i think is is probably a lot safer and more comfortable in in many scenarios absolutely what would you say is your vision for gnosis you guys have built a phenomenal product but what lies ahead Ooh, uh, I don't know. I mean, in terms of vision for for Gnosis, I think it's the or for the for the Gnosis DAO. Um, it, it has a lot of focus right now on uh, the Gnosis chain um, and uh, essentially enabling that to be uh, a very very uh, decentralized network. Uh, and what I mean by that is that it's it's kind of currently going through the process to uh, have uh, the analogy to the, the Ethereum merge, uh, essentially merging, uh, migrating from uh, what is now uh, a kind of proof of stake, uh, or migrating to, <laughs> to kind of Ethereum style yeah. proof of stake, uh, as in with the, the, the beacon chain and then the execution layer. Um, the uh, the difference, I guess, between Gnosis Chain and, and kind of Ethereum mainnet uh, 
though, is the, the relative size of uh, deposits for validators. So a, a validator on Nurses Chain needs one GNO, which is a couple of hundred dollars, as opposed to 32 Ether, which is uh, tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Um, and so because of that, uh, we uh, what we're seeing is, is many, many, many more uh, validators uh, or many more people being able to uh, afford the cost to actually spin up a validator and run them at home uh, as opposed to being uh, forced into using uh, or being part of uh, uh, pools, validator pools. Um, and so, yeah, this is a, a really interesting kind of quality of, uh, of Gnosis Chain. Uh, and I think kind of that is a, is a huge focus for the, the Gnosis DAO currently is essentially uh, continuing to kind of push on this vision of this uh, maximally uh, decentralized, maximally censorship resistant yeah. uh, kind of sister chain to uh, mainnet Ethereum. That's amazing. You have been at Gnosis for a while. I thought you were there for two years, but you've told me you've been involved in 2017. Um, what is something that you are boastful about what you guys are building? I mean, the Gnosis Safe is is a pretty unbelievable uh, success story. So I'm, I'm incredibly proud of and, and envious of the, the team that uh, that put all of that together. Um, it's it's gotten to the point now, like I said earlier, that it's it's legitimate uh, kind of core infrastructure for the Ethereum ecosystem. Um, and yeah, that's uh, that's an incredible achievement. Um, and I, I say for the Ethereum ecosystem, I, I really mean that uh, in, in the kind of broadest sense there, where it's, it's become critical infrastructure for every new kind Absolutely. of EVM chain or layer that, uh, that yeah. pops into existence, where, you know, like in order for, uh, for protocols to deploy their contracts to, to a new layer, they, they often cite the safe as a, as a core requirement because they need it to be able to secure their protocol. Um, and so, yeah, having, having kind of reached that point, I think is, uh, is phenomenal. Um, outside of that, I think the thing that is maybe less obvious externally is just the, the culture within Gnosis. Um, I am incredibly, I feel incredibly lucky to be a part of, uh, of such a, um, I don't know, just interesting, interesting and, and effective culture. Um, it's, it's one, like I mentioned earlier, where, where kind of folks are, are, are brought in and, and given the space to, to explore and to, uh, to, to execute on, on their, their mission kind of as defined by, by uh, the, the leadership within the organization, but also as, as kind of defined by themselves. Um, I've, I've described it a few times as being this, uh, this really uh, happy middle ground between essentially being a startup founder and working for a, a kind of large established organization. You know, if, if you desire within the Gnosis ecosystem, yeah. um, you, have, you have the opportunity to, to essentially shape whatever you want to work on, yeah. um, which is why, why these, uh, these sub-teams exist. You know, people have come in, joined the Gnosis ecosystem in one role, identified some some need or some uh, place within the ecosystem that's uh, that they can build something valuable and, and essentially 
had the freedom within Gnosis to to go and start this this kind of internal venture uh, with the with the security of knowing they're part of this large organization and can fall back onto onto some other role if this 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 venture doesn't pan out. Uh, and I think having that that combination of flexibility and security has allowed uh, for things like the safe and CowSwap and Compaki and uh, and whatnot to to exist and to thrive. That's amazing. I'm super happy for you because I feel like, you know, this kind of a culture is super important for people to be able to feel like I have the freedom to grow here. Nothing's halting it. And um, I think that's absolutely phenomenal. You know, we know that DAOs are still such an ambiguous space and systems are still very broken. Yet Gnosis had managed to build an incredible product, you know, that sits right there at the top. Um, but with all that said, as a DAO lead, what is one problem that you'd say is keeping you awake at night? And if I would reframe that question, it would be, um, if I give you a million dollars to solve a problem, what's that one problem you'd like to use it for? Uh, yeah, that's a really good question. I think one of the things that uh, is most scary to me in the DAO space right now is um, membership and vote transparency. Uh, so. In, in some scenarios, in a lot of scenarios, transparency is really good. We were talking about the uh, kind of proof of reserve uh, or the, the kind of uh, the way that DeFi kind of functions as, as the code implements it as opposed to kind of how someone arbitrarily decides to, to uh, interact with the, the, the funds that they are custodying. Um, they, but they, they kind of... Uh, dark side of, of transparency is that it, uh, in, in some scenarios, becomes an avenue for uh, corruption and, and collusion, and in particular for, uh, in the case of, of voting and decision-making in DAOs, um, it, it yeah, becomes this, uh, this avenue for, uh, again, this uh, collusion on, on outcomes. Uh, and this can be very explicit uh, in some cases or, or uh, happen kind of entirely under the table and then be not obvious at all. Um, but the, the, the solution to this is essentially uh, private DAO voting, as in uh, being able to, to cast a ballot and know that, it's, uh, know that the vote uh, is, is counted correctly but not be able to uh, prove how you voted. Um, so there's a there's a really good reason why every respectable democracy in the world uses a secret ballot, um, and it's it's for this exact reason, so that you can't do things like uh, effectively bribe people to vote a certain way or coerce yeah. people to vote a certain way. Um, and then I think uh, I, I talked about membership briefly there as well. I think the the unfortunate reality is that there are a there are DAOs out there that are, um, I don't know, doing things that are, are exist in kind of legal gray areas right now, or kind of uh, depending on their jurisdiction, uh, legal gray areas that you know maybe are okay now, but maybe will not be in future. And kind of having having your membership in organisations be, be publicly visible, um, I think, is a is a risk, and um, yeah, something that ideally would be great to be, uh, I don't know, something that people can kind of optionally choose to expose uh, yeah. 
if if they want to. And yeah, so I think that the, the the kind of privacy aspect of uh, both voting and membership is is the thing that's most uh, most troubling for me at the moment. And uh, you know, if if I had uh, a chunk of money to focus on something specific, that would probably be it. Uh, Gnosis Guild is doing some work on this for uh, for private voting. We're kind of running a proof of concept for private voting at the moment. We haven't started to tackle private membership yet. Uh, so if someone else is looking for something to, uh, to to work on, I think that would be a really great thing to uh, to experiment with. Uh, essentially DAO structures where the, the membership and all the uh, voting is private. Amazing. Thank you so, so much for sharing that. Um, let's jump to our really interesting and fun activity, which is looking at the DAO tooling landscape, I am going to pull out a picture for you and from that you would choose your top three DAO tools and you would be roasting three tools. Um, give me a moment to share my screen. All right, DAO tooling landscape. Um, I guess I got to give a shout out to Colony. Um, I, I used to work at Colony and still uh, contribute to it some, um, and I, I'm very fond of it. Uh, I think it's really underrated. It's it's. I think the reason that a lot of people got involved in the DAO space, the kind of vision that Colony uh, that that Colony communicated, um, similar to Gnosis, they got involved really really early on, uh, and so a lot of the kind of core infrastructure that they needed to. Uh, to build the product uh, to kind of fulfill their vision didn't exist. And so they similarly have had a couple of false starts in, uh, in terms of the uh, pieces of their tech stack. Um, but it's, it's a really compelling uh, vision and uh, it's a product that's, uh, that's slowly making its way towards that vision. Um, essentially, Colony is... Um, is trying to build this is very opinionated about kind of what organizations, what optimal organizations should look like uh, and is just trying to build these uh, meritocratic organizations where you you earn uh, kind of a, a, a stake in the organization, uh, kind of both control and economic uh, by contributing to the organization. So your merit uh, is what gives you uh, control and financial stake in the organization. Um, it's a really, really elegant design. Uh, anyone that has not done it, I highly recommend going and reading uh, their white paper and jumping in and having a play around with the, the product. Um, let's have a look. Another one on here, Radical, uh, in the uh, middle section there, content uh, product. Uh, Radical is this tool for uh, properly, uh, uh, essentially decentralized uh, Git management. Uh, it, it allows you to kind of create a repo that uh, is, uh, the kind of canonical version of it is, is truly owned by uh, an Ethereum address, owned by a DAO, um, and it allows the DAO then to, uh, to do version control on its products uh, in a way that's much more, uh, that is kind of Web3 native. Uh, and so the reason that I really like this product is I think it's kind of prototyping um, what SaaS products should look like in a Web3 environment in terms of the, uh, the ability for any account, any address to truly own its assets within that uh, kind of SaaS 
uh, environment. Uh, this is not the case for just about every platform that we interact with. You know, a DAO that has a Discord server uh, really has a community member that owns a Discord server and lets them use it kind of thing. Uh, the same is true for a Twitter account or a GitHub account or uh, just about any other SaaS product. Uh, Radical is, is uh, an exception uh, and, and I think a model that I would love to see more people uh, follow. Um, let's have a look what else is on here. Uh, we've talked enough about the safe, so I won't, uh, <laughs> I won't talk about them anymore, but they, they would also be in my top three. Um, I think uh, maybe another one here uh, from the compensation side, Superfluid. Um, Superfluid and uh, Sablia are uh, both there um, and both solve kind of similar problems. Um, but essentially, I really love... Uh, I, I really love both of them, actually, Superfluid and Sablia, but um, they're, That's they're, they're kind of core you can concepts only here. One. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The core concept here is, um, is essentially uh, money streams. Uh, so you kind of having money flow uh, in, a, in a kind of very liquid way as opposed to uh, having to move it in kind of granular chunks. So with, uh, with Superfluid, you can set up a stream of funds to someone where you define uh, the rate at which funds move from your account to their account. Um, and I think this is, uh, this is really neat for things like uh, vesting, uh, for subscriptions, for, um, for uh, salaries and things like that even. Um, yeah. And it's, I think it's, it's a technology that's uh, it's very early and we still haven't really seen how people will, uh, will pick it up and use it. But yeah, uh, yeah feels feels like something that's kind of uniquely enabled by some qualities of Web3 uh, in a way that uh, that uh, traditional finance was just not able to do effectively. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing with us. Now to our favorite part, roasting three tools. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's have a look. Uh, all right. I'm going to start with uh, discourse. Um, I actually really love Discourse. It's a, it's a forum <laughs> tool. Um, I've been using it for years. We still use it for the Gnosis DAO. Um, I've set up more Discord uh, or Discourse <laughs> servers that I, uh, that I can, can count. But in the context of DAOs, uh, it has some really big flaws that I think people are unaware of or, or kind of often go into, uh, into kind of interacting with communities or even setting up Discord servers without being aware of these uh, these uh, kind of caveats. Yeah. Uh, partially, this is the, the problem that I talked about with Radical, um, that the kind of Radical solves for in terms of uh, allowing the uh, DAO to kind of truly own it. You know, a discourse instance is some person running a server with discourse on it. Uh, kind of whoever controls that server, controls the database on that server, whoever the admins are on the, um, on the discourse instance have Lots and lots of uh, powers within that uh, within that forum that are pretty uh, pretty overpowered. Um, yeah. So a good example of that is the the admin on a uh, discourse uh, or the admins on a discourse uh, instance can do things like uh, impersonate a user. So I can log in as an, log in as an admin and I can go to someone's profile and I can hit the impersonate button and now I can do things on that discourse server acting as whoever I'm impersonating. 
I can go and make posts, I can go and reply to things, I can go and like things, I can dive in and read people's messages, their private messages, all this kind of stuff. So in the context of Web3, this is really overpowered uh, and, and not really, I think, suitable. So I would re- very much like to see some some more Web3 native alternatives to discourse uh, start to roll out. Uh, but yeah, I, I guess the, the point being there uh, that folks should just be aware of that when they're interacting with discourse uh, yeah. instances, that there are these, these limitations to it. Uh, and so they should just act accordingly. Um, let's see, who else is on here? Um, I don't know, I don't like roasting stuff because it's a role in the compensation thing. If I recall correctly, role is this kind of personal tokens project. Um, and this is more a criticism of, of just kind of how most personal tokens have worked um, as opposed to role specifically. Um, but uh, I, yeah, I, I personally haven't liked the way that uh, that personal tokens have been uh, implemented, in that they they typically tend to be. Uh, I'm going to mint this this set of ERC twenty tokens, um, distribute them or sell them or whatever uh, to people, and then have this kind of loose promise that you can redeem them for something that I do. You know, maybe you can redeem them for some of my time or I'll sign a book if you redeem it or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think I've, I've found that kind of uncertainty in, in how they could be used uh, to, to really limit uh, how valuable I could uh, imagine any of these tokens actually being. Um, my, my take on it is for personal tokens, I would much rather see something like a token that represents uh, access to someone's time uh, and, and actually like very granular access to someone's time where perhaps they're actually non-fungible tokens that represent a specific chunk of time that says, you know, if you own this token, then I work for you during this time kind of thing. That, that feels like it would be much more useful uh, than the kind of uh, you know, relatively generic and unclear uh, version of personal tokens that uh, that I've seen kind of out in the wild so far. Yeah. Um, last one. Uh, let's see. Uh, I don't know. Last one. I'm going to say G Suite. Um, oh. Just because it's <laughs> it's it's about the the least kind of DAO uh, DAO tooling DAO tool uh, on the list. Um, <laughs> I think it's something that we should all be aiming to stop using, if possible, uh, <laughs> migrating to, to other things that are more privacy-preserving, more more uh, kind of Web3 native, uh, and not, uh, not feeding the algorithm. Absolutely. All right, this is so amazing. Thank you so much. I know it's really hard and kind of painful to roast things, but um, thanks for being super transparent. I know we're kind of shooting really on time, so um, and we have some community questions here. Let's take them up in a rapid fire round before we wrap up. Um, so Marathon Mind asks, how decentralized are DAOs? Like any particular data or research available on this topic that can be shared from your end? I would be glad if you can share it here in the chat. How decentralized are DAOs? Uh, I, I think that's a, 
I don't know. We we touched on it a little bit earlier with the um, the kind of progressive decentralization uh, topic. You know, there's a um, a huge spectrum of of how decentralized uh, organizations that call themselves DAOs are. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I don't know. The DAO itself is a bit of a fuzzy word that mm-hmm. uh, it could mean any number of different things depending on how uh, on who's saying it and in what context. Um, and then even DAOs that are, I don't know, you might make a kind of hard cut off and say, okay, you know, DAOs need to have you know full autonomy over their uh, their uh, on-chain uh, avatar in order to be called a DAO. Even in that case, I think there's still a huge spectrum of kind of decentralization. You know, you could say it could be a a team of. 15 kind of people contributing to it or it could be a, a, a group of 1,500 or 15,000 people contributing to it and you know, all having some measure of autonomy over this thing. Uh, so, yeah, how decentralized are DAOs is a, is a know, really difficult question to give a, a concrete answer to. Um, uh, I'm not aware of any research on it off the top of my head, um, but I'd be very keen to see some if anyone has some. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so, I don't know, Crypto asks... Are you for or against complete decentralization in DAOs? Yeah, I think that uh, I'd probably think about it less in terms of safety and more in terms of efficiency. Um, obviously, DAOs, I, I, I think safety is, is kind of a, a core requirement, uh, regardless of, of where you are on a progressive decentralization journey. Um, but efficiency is is the really important piece to think about when uh, when you're making kind of compromises on on who gets to make decisions on what. Um, I guess the the key point there is that uh, let's compare it to traditional organizational hierarchies, right? You you could uh, traditional organizations kind of as they scale tend to. Uh, have departments that have autonomy over some subset of the organization's activities. Uh, you might have a, a, an engineering department and a marketing department and an operations department uh, or something like that. Um, and that, that kind of internal, organiz- uh, internal hierarchy exists for efficiency's sake because it, it doesn't make sense for the top level of the organization to be making those kind of granular domain-specific decisions. Yeah. I think the same is true for for DAOs. You know, for DAOs to scale beyond a handful of people or a couple of handfuls of people, they need to set up practices that allow them to to operate efficiently. You know, it doesn't make sense for the top level of a DAO yeah. uh, to have a, a, a top-level proposal on every every finite activity of the uh, uh, or every kind of granular activity. Um, that the DAO's uh, undertaking. And so uh, I, I tend to think about the top level as something uh, akin to uh, the, the board of directors in a, in a more traditional organization. And to operate efficiently, it should delegate responsibilities down to uh, sub-teams uh, or mechanisms that can kind of achieve the, the desired outcome without having to have the input of the entire DAO every time they want to uh, make a decision. And kind of what those teams or mechanisms are, I think, really depends on, on the activity that, uh, 
that 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 needs to be kind of uh, undertaken and the the uh, speed comfort trade-offs that the DAOs are willing to make in order to to get the outcome they want absolutely um thank you so so much for taking up our community questions and thank you so much community for dropping your questions ryan one of the last things i'd love to ask you is what is your philosophy as a person um if you had access to naval ravikant's twitter for one day like what would that be in a line oh i don't know um i I don't know. I, I, I kind of like the, the the classic golden rule of just kind of treat people how you would like to be treated. Uh, I think yeah. that uh, <laughs> that goes a really long way uh, towards kind of creating a uh, I don't know just a, a happy cooperative world. Um, it's not the reality in uh, in a lot of cases, but it's I think that's how I try to live. Um, yeah. Well, thank you, Orion. This was phenomenal. I appreciate you so much for giving us your time and being super transparent with us and just being a great vibe on the chat. Um, it was really amazing. And thank you so much that we got the opportunity to pick your brain. There's so much to learn about Gnosis and I feel like there's so many amazing things you guys are even doing in Zodiac. Um, maybe we will do another episode next month where we do a much deeper dive. I think Zodiac itself has so much going on. Um, I looked at the website and I just kept on reading and I was amazed by how many helpful articles and the way you guys have structured yourselves like it's absolutely the website is beautiful and whatever you guys are building is really really amazing so thank you so much um thank you everyone for joining us in today's dollars discord space <laughs>